What is going on? Hello, everybody. It's uh, six o'clock, so we'll get started in a second. Um, almost messed this entire thing up because I did not charge my phone, and this is on my phone. And just last second, I'm looking down at my phone. It's like 5% battery left. Like, oh, God. I got to run and find a charger so I can start this on time. But uh, we'll get started in uh, we'll get started like in like four minutes. We'll start at 6.05. I want to give uh, everyone, when I say everyone, talking about like probably the 40 people that show up. <laughs> but we should be able to grow this over time, right? Um, if I have over 100, if I have almost 100,000 followers on Twitter, I better get at least 1% of that showing up on my call-ins. I know that this is uh, troublesome for anyone who doesn't have, uh, you know, an iPhone. So by just process of elimination, I know every one of you are an Apple customer. Which makes me feel better about being a lifetime Apple customer as well. They haven't figured it out, that's for sure. Because uh, I walk by the Apple store and I always feel like I need to stop in there and get the newest Apple product. But... Uh, yeah, we'll get started in four minutes. It is 6.01 right now. Hopefully everyone is doing well. I wish that this had, uh, you know, whenever I do my live streams on YouTube, um, I have it all set up, right? I have the cut screen and the music and the, you know, ambiance. I gotta figure that out so we could have some kind of bearable waiting room until we get started. Thumbs up. So thumbs up if the, uh, I guess that's the best way to get some feedback without actually uh, putting anyone on speaker yet. Um, thumbs up if the sound is good. So make sure the sound is good because I'm wearing a headset. Um, So there should be a thumb on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. If you see it, go ahead. Ah, perfect. Great feedback. Um, <clears throat> so this is uh, this is my third one. And um, so, Ryan, thanks for calling. I'm going to start in, in about two minutes. It's a great name you have there. Uh, I believe it means Little King. I'm familiar with the Ryan myself. Um, but uh, we'll get started in two minutes. But... Uh, I've done, I think this is my third, right? And, um, you know, I'm sort of figuring my way out, figuring my way out, figuring my way around when it comes to doing this. I'm, you know, doing, so I'm not a streamer, I'm a trader, right? Started getting into streaming uh, not too long ago. Um, never was really consistent with it, but I think I'm going to start doing it more consistently now moving forward. Uh, it's a nice sort of reprieve, a nice, I guess, uh, uh, way for me to let off steam and and connect with people that follow me on Twitter, um, but this is even better because, like I say, you know, it's very difficult to it's very difficult to um, you know interact with the amount of followers that I have in a um, in a reasonable manner. You know, I get a ton of different DMs. I get a lot of feedback on YouTube, uh, a lot of followers on Twitch, and uh, like I said, this is a good time for. For those that uh, do want to ask me questions and you know, you know, shoot the breeze to step in here and talk, um, but it is you know it takes some getting used to. I remember starting to get into streaming. It was like, and I'm sure a lot of people can actually relate to this. Uh, during peak pandemic, if anyone was working through Zoom um, or video conferencing, 
there's like a fatigue that comes along with that, right? Where you're just literally, you're so, um, I think it's just a sensory overload uh, and nonstop talking, especially if you're streaming, um, where you're just talking to the computer, you're looking at the chat, but I mean, you're, you're on a show, right? It's like an hour and a half, two hours. And, and after a stream, I'm just like wiped until ultimately you find some sort of cadence and some balance. And, you know, my, my streams have become, if anything, more casual where in the beginning I'm streaming, I feel like, you know, I'm on stage and got to put on a performance. And uh, now you can tell that I just, I really couldn't care. It's just, you know, try to just talk as if we're all in the same room. Uh, so ideally that's what these will become and they'll be very open again. You know, I am now, you know, my background traded for 15 years, uh, started trading equities, moved on to crude oil, trading cryptocurrency, done a lot of other stuff as well though. Um, so I've, I've had my hands in, in multiple things. Um, and uh, I don't want this to just become a, a room where we only talk about markets. Obviously a lot of people are going to be coming here for that, but no, let's keep it open because ultimately we're all human beings experiencing uh, life on this rock that's hurtling through space. And there's a lot of stuff going on right now that uh, sometimes is more interesting than what's taking place in a crypto market, right? Um, lastly, one thing I want to touch on before I get started is uh, what I'm going to do is moving forward. For those of you that do show up consistently, I see a couple of familiar names already. Um, I'll make you speakers. And you know, it'll be, it, it, I think it'd be just a little bit better to be open. And for those of you that are shy, right, you sort of stick in the background, uh, be a fly on the wall. And then, you know, if you feel like you want to join in and uh, partake in the conversation, um, you know, just let me know. Uh, but we're figuring it out as we go along, right? So let's get started. Uh, thank you guys for coming in. That was uh, around a five minute long introduction. Uh, I've been a lot worse before. For those of you that watch my streams, I'll like label a stream. And uh, you know, it might be very specific with what I want to get into. And then like a half hour in, we're talking about my dog. We're talking about the horses. And there's plenty of that always, right? I mean, my dog ate my Christmas lights, had to restring them last night. I described that on the stream today. Um, was worried about her starting a fire. Apparently, they were safe enough to be eaten and be on and not to light up our tree, which is a pretty shitty tree. Of all the trees we've ever had in our home, uh, this tree is the worst one. It's it's. It's dying a lot faster than any other tree. And trust me, we keep it watered. Um, but uh, sometimes I could get off on tangents, right? But uh, my name is Ryan, also known as Cantor and Clark on Twitter. Again, um, I've been trading now for 15 years. I'm getting old enough to the point where I have to think about how old I am for a split second. I constantly ask my wife how old she is, and I constantly have to remind myself how long I've been trading. Um, so the, the mental math does not come quickly anymore. So say 15 going on 16 years, maybe 14, who knows? So the same though, right? I have uh, plenty of hours, um, uh, behind the screen, uh, professionally for myself. And, uh, this is all I do, right? This is, uh, all I've known for a really long time, uh, crypto markets specifically for the last five years. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that's going to change in the near future. I love the trade. Uh, I love markets. Um, for me, it's a, it's a game, right? It is, uh, it is, it is one of the ultimate games. Um, but like I said, if you guys want to talk about anything, I'm open to it. I have plenty of other experience in other areas as well. All right. So there's a couple things, uh, that I think are noteworthy. Um, again, I want to have some structure to these because, you know, God knows how I can get if I leave things open ended. I mean, we'll we'll just go off on tangents forever. Um, so there's a few things, right? One thing that I noticed today, if you guys want to briefly touch on, 
uh, sailor wants a little bit of yield farming, right? So a sailor looking to lend out some of his Bitcoin. Uh, quite interesting, right? Uh, I don't know if I have a really strong opinion on it. Um, Michael Saylor is a, uh, he's a, he's a very interesting guy to say the least. I mean, just, uh, just to get this out of the way, because there's a lot of people that when Bitcoin moves down, they start thinking of Michael Saylor and who, you know, Michael Saylor is sort of the elephant in the room because he is, he has a very significant amount of Bitcoin. He has like 123,000 Bitcoin last time I checked. So 123,000 Bitcoin, you know, roughly three, yeah, three and a half, four billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and his average price, um, based on just sort of back on envelope math, is like what, 28, 29,000, 30,000, whatever. So we're, we're well above it. And not for nothing, uh, the guy is the kind of investor that I believe has been known for going down, tying himself on the mast. Um, so I'm not, I'm not worried about Michael Saylor losing conviction in BTC. So I'm, by me saying that, I'm not worried uh, that he'll, he will become a forced seller. Um, he has a lot of time. He has a lot of time on his side uh, before any of that, um, any of those notes are mature or even, uh, you know, or going to come home to roost. So not a big deal. There's a couple interesting things about Sailor though. And I don't know if you guys uh, are sort of on this, but he was, uh, you know, I think this was back in 1990. Um, he lost like 6 billion bucks in a day. So he, he's known for some very interesting investments. Uh, I think he lost $6 billion um, off the top of his company when I, I'm pretty sure he overstated his earnings or overstated the revenue uh, by a pretty significant value. But he's always been this kind of, as they describe him as this philosopher king, um, always obsessed with sort of changing the world. And and I mean, we could have probably a whole call in just about Sailor. I find the guy so, such an enigma. Um, he is, uh, he, he's quirky, right? He's, he's, um, you know, he, he, there's something about him that, yeah, I guess the best way I can describe him is, is sort of an enigma. Um, a lot of conviction, right? Uh, sometimes a little bit too, too much conviction for me, right? It almost becomes, uh, religious or cult-like, which I, I guess that kind of helps for, you know, the general, um, penetration of the asset class and the stickiness of it. You know, if you could build, if, if you know, crypto, we talk about crypto and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll refer to crypto um, by just saying, yeah, a lot of times if I say Bitcoin, I'm, I'm basically talking about all crypto, right? I've said that it's sort of like a synecdoche by saying Bitcoin and, and referring to crypto, but um, devout Bitcoin holder, right? It doesn't have anything else with regards to any exposure to other cryptocurrencies. Uh, from the sound of it, he doesn't really, you know, Bitcoin is what's that hilarious video. Um, there is no second best, right? So he is, he, he's drank the Kool-Aid. And in a new asset class, uh, you want as many people to buy into that as possible, right? Now, I, I think just from statistics, some, from statistical, ugh, statistical feedback alone, Bitcoin, I, the people that have been long-term whales, like nothing really is, is provoking them to, to sell that much. Um, and you have to imagine that you do get to a certain point and I could just like, you see this at scale when you, when you start growing your own personal account, that there is certain values that when you are up considerably, uh, and I'm talking like you have everything tied down, you pay your taxes, all that, um, you're, you're willing to be a little bit looser with the remainder, right? Especially if you're up like exponentially. So, um, 
for Michael Saylor, for someone who's a multi-billionaire, uh, that number is really, people have a really hard grasp when it comes to statistics don't come, I guess, intuitively uh, and, and, and large numbers as well. So just the concept of, I remember started wrapping my idea, my head around this when I was younger, just the, the idea of a house that is multi-millions of dollars, right? So, you know, you have a million dollar house, you see one, it looks big, you know, it's a, it's a very expensive home, maybe not as much recently, it still is. Um, I don't want to marginalize that, which is something Twitter does with large values of money, because uh, most of the world is, you know, searching for fresh water and food, but, uh, you know, clean water and food. But, um, you know, then you think, okay, so a house is worth $5 million. That is a That's a pretty big difference. That's not just like, uh, you know, going from a dollar to $5. Um, so a guy who's a multi-billionaire, uh, he could live on, you know, a fraction of what he has. So he could, he could afford to be a little bit cavalier, I guess, with... Uh, a significant amount of money. Um, yeah, so really interesting guy, uh, devout. Again, I think that that is important for this to catch on. Uh, I think it has, if anything, I think it has only helped. Um, it definitely has sort of um, ostracized it to some degree. And, you know, people either are very supportive of it or, you know, the first response to it is, oh, that, what is that sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, criminal money or, you know, has like that, that stigma um, to a certain group of people. And I would say it's kind of split, honestly. Um, so he's looking to potentially lend out some BTC. Uh, one other thing that, um, you know, is uh, worth noting is the whole, and I'll take your call in a second, Ryan, so sorry for sort of going on. Um, you know, the idea of the Santa rally, I think, you know, and I said this too, uh, I, I bought into it a little too fast as well. Um, it was kind of taken for granted after, uh, Powell, you know, an FOMC, um, you know, him, him, it being more hawkish than expected, but, uh, nevertheless, it was like, okay, so markets aren't having a stake uh, driven through their not you know, a, a knife driven through or a stake. You know, if you're thinking about a vampire, um, a, uh, it's not like he, he drove a stake through the heart of the market. Right. So it was like, okay, so we're not being sent off a cliff. So I guess we're just guaranteed the Santa rally. Um, and, and this rally is, it, it would be early to occur now, actually, because it's more like towards Christmas and into New Year. Uh, but it seemed like the market got behind that very quickly, and there's been a ton of volatility in the last, you know, 48 hours, and it hasn't been as clear as maybe it was uh, in the minds of men as it is in the actual markets. So that's another thing we're touching on. Um, you know, today was quad witching, so it's uh, it, it's one of those things where it's actually not that big of a deal, but it, it has a, a much more um, catchy, sexy. Uh, it's a much more catchy and se sexy topic when it comes to just Bintwit and uh, you know crypto sort of catching on to this as well. But it's a it's a big day for traditional market derivative products. Um, now this all occurring uh, you know around this time of the year, markets being volatile. You know um, we have uh, thinner markets as a whole because it is towards the end of the quarter. You have funds and, and larger institutional participants wrapping up their book, and you also have the kind of liquidity that you would expect around the holidays. Uh, so that's one thing to, to, to think about. You know, today, um, everything was down. The only thing that was up today was a VIX, uh, but everything across the board uh, getting hurt. And if you look at the NQ and you look at the, you know, the S&P, it was like, it was just nonstop uh, chop fest. Um, so that, and uh, then I was, you know, there's one other thing that sort of, unrelated kind of but just maybe you guys want to give your opinion on it there was 
I was listening to the uh, Adlats podcast, and and there was the more recent episode about abolishing uh, work and abolishing a certain type of work. But man, it just it it struck a chord in me because, you know, I had a lot of uh, really shitty jobs when I was younger. Um, I had some really interesting jobs when I was younger that uh, I learned a lot from, and there were some really great people in those positions, and or rather in those um, in those jobs that uh, that I learned a lot from, but man, I'm really happy that I didn't have to stay there. But that was that's the point, right? I mean, a lot of jobs when you're younger um, are stepping stones, right? You're not supposed to stay uh, at a job where you're scooping ice cream, right? That's kind of like a job that's meant for children. I mean, I had some some interesting job. I, my, one of my first jobs was working at a golf store and, and actually a pet store. And it's funny because the guy in the uh, podcast talking about working out with animals, but he sounded like a kid and he sounded like he was just going through sort of the same experience that kids do. And it just reminded me like my grandfather was still alive. Like he'd be thinking, well, when I was your age, you know, I was in Normandy and uh, you know, times were, um, didn't have the luxury of complaining about that. Right. Um, I, I remember like one of the, God, I, I worked at a uh, prop shop when I was, I, I got a position at prop shop and, and part of it was a brokerage arm when I was 18 years old or 19 years old uh, when I was in college um, before I had the intern opportunity at City, so just sort of going through things chronologically. Uh, and a friend of mine, his, his, a friend of mine who went to, at the time, the University of Albany, his roommate, his brother owned the firm, or he was one of the partners at the firm, so we all got jobs there. And oh my God, it was just an absolute fucking, excuse me, uh, drug fest. Um, and God, if I took that experience I, and, I, and I ran with it, I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ended up um, staying interested in markets, finance, or anything related, right? Even though, like I said, I kind of jumped around when I was younger. Uh, by the time that I was, you know, my college year coming out into the Great Recession, um, you know, I had an awesome, what I thought would be an awesome job lined up, and then that firm uh, with the relationship that uh, I had there through someone went under, and and uh, no, it's just a little hint that firm. The initials are LB, so um, I'm pretty sure everyone's familiar with Lehman Brothers. But either way, let's get it started. Sorry for going on too long, but I think I gave you guys plenty of stuff to work off. We could have uh, some some good conversations. And if you want to talk about something completely different, be my guest. All right, Ryan, let me uh, tag you into the call. Hey, what's up, man? Can you hear me? Ryan, just make sure that you press to unmute yourself. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's going on? Man? Hey, um, it's good to finally talk to you. I've been a Lockroots member and followed you on Twitter and um, learned a hell of a lot from you. Um, so thank you for everything. Um, really appreciate it. Actually, um, won a hundred dollars from you as well. Yeah, he actually sends <laughs> the Bitcoin to anybody that's wondering. Um, yeah, I mean you covered a lot there, but I kind of want to get into um, trade execution and some of the more nuances um, that you might be willing to share as far as. Um, you know, executing trades, perpetual swaps, because I feel like, you know, swaps with the funding make it 
a, a really hard thing to trade. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, I know you've talked a little bit about um, putting on swing trades, but I know you're mostly on the lower time frame charts. Um, and, and now that um, you're um, kind of speaking for Bookmap or, you know, have some agreement with them, when I found that, I kind of put everything together that you have been talking about, about order flow and volume profile, um, market profile. And I just want to know if you'd care to share some of your strategies um, while using Bookmap and, and trading, you know, a lower time frame chart. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling in, man. And I appreciate, um, I appreciate the, uh, the feedback and the thanks from you. Uh, as far as Bookmap, I'm actually, so worked with them, um, for a little bit, but we actually ended up, uh, parting ways. So no, no hard feelings or anything like that, but it was, uh, honestly, it was, um, a mistake on my end. Product's great. So just have to get that out there. Um, I, I think that anyone who, uh, who's looking for, a product that offers uh, features it should be going to something along the lines of them. You know, you have other competitors as well, such as Trading Light. Um, now, Bookmap is, you know, it's showing you basically the, the limit order book, right? So you're seeing the depth of the market. You're seeing how it changes. Um, it's not as simple just to cover this kind of order flow for anyone who's listening in and maybe not familiar. Um, the order flow that I'm most concerned with is the aggressive order flow. So the active market participants that are reaching for higher prices or reaching for lower prices. Um, and a lot of markets movements, um, whether they're on the low timeframes or the high timeframes come from, you know, the market getting over over positioned in a particular area. So too long or too short. Uh, and, and the market ultimately trading back against that pocket of participants. And, and this is great for setups in the low timeframes. This is just kind of a, a general, um, overview of how things occur on the low timeframes and the high timeframes. Bookmap is the passive orders, right? So Bookmap has the benefit of, and this is going to sound like an advertisement right now, but uh, it is a great platform. Um, Bookmap has the benefit of allowing you to see some of the larger market orders that come into the market. So you have those volume bubbles, uh, which is kind of similar. It's not the same as the footprint. I, I prefer the footprint because it is a bit more granular and it has sort of the exact breakdown and with respect to some of my trades on the lower time frame there are some very specific values that i look for to come through uh or rather that i don't always look for but when i do see them i know okay this is like regardless of my feelings about where we currently are like i know that when we see this you know for example um just recently when we see like bybit getting really aggressively short and we see open interest going up and it's not just longs being stopped out and it's in excess of like 10 million contracts all right, chances are that if the market kind of stutters around this area and we're able to even trade on the opposite side of that, you're going to see an unwind that's usually good for 1% to 2%. So I prefer the footprint to see that type of aggressive activity specifically. Bookmap has the large order bubbles, and yes, you can see it, and it just shows you basically the sum, and then and, and it will indicate the overall delta of it. And then you could sort of build the that um, set up by looking at the tape as well. If you're looking at the tape and you see those large orders come through on the tape, um, where book map is useful in particular with the, the heat maps is how things adjust or change based on price movement. So you have different types of players that are using passive orders. Some are using to spoof, 
Some are using actually, you know, some are actually there to advertise and get filled. Some have no intention of getting filled. Um, so really what I was looking at when I look at if I, and a heat map, honestly, and this is, you know, a heat map for those of you guys that have been following me for a long time, you know that heat map is, is one of the things that I, I, it's like kind of the lowest, the lowest part of the pole for me when it comes to order flow. Like I, it's, it's because so much of it could be just advertisement and noise, right? It doesn't cost anything to place a limit order, right. um, but it does cost to actually execute that market. So with Bookmap, one of the useful things, though, to see is whether or not um, whether or not someone has actually been present on the offer on the bid for a sustained amount of time. So that that's one way that you might actually give weight uh, or merit to a level being significant. Like if you have a very significant structural level, and yeah, there has been a presence there, either in the bid or in the offer, uh, and it's been consistent and static. And if anything, if it starts increasing, that might be a pretty good sign as well. Um, when it's just popping into the book and it's relatively new, a lot of the times that's that's not really, you'll see that the, those players don't really have the intention of getting filled. But it's not like it's a guarantee, right? right. Another thing that, to pay attention to is when price trades up to one of those levels that's advertised, you know, do they actually have intention of getting filled? So do they move away from price? When, let's say... We have a bid at, for example, for the longest time, we had a very significant bid at 46. It got filled. We still have significant bids down from 45, 44, 42. It's kind of like very large round numbers that are, you know, those whole numbers that you're going to see a lot of volume around anyway. Um, how do they behave? Do they stay there? What happens if, you know, we see 46 get filled? Does the buyer at 45, 500, do they start trailing price up when it starts to look like prices are moving back down? Um, so focusing on all of this behavior or lack of behavior can be, it can in its own way be used as a signal. So one thing, and just to be honest, that I find is like, and and this is where I'm going to get into like why I'm not, um, you know, like I said, a, the great platform, great team at Bookmap, not saying anything about it, not being useful. But for me, I already have kind of my system built, right? So it almost was like I was adding one extra thing into my system that was, if anything, as I always like to say, taking up just a little bit more bandwidth. Um, and I don't know if I was getting as much out of it as as it was that I was actually dedicating energy and screen space to it. Um, with my with my lower time frame trading, uh, a lot of it is just feel. Um, it's it's one mapping out the environment, so knowing what kind of environment we're in, or we're in a rotational environment, or we're in a trending environment, and not acting like we're in one when we're actually in the other. So a lot of times you'll see crypto Twitter is talking about getting involved in the trend when it's clear we've been in a range, right? So let's get right. out of the range before we get in a, before we start looking for a trend. Um, so can I ask you about um, your range trading? I mean, are you yeah. identifying value areas and placing trade, um, placing a trade um, within the value area lower or high, depending on your your bias or are you just playing the range straight up? Like I'm buying at the value area low and I'm, and I'm just, my target is the value area high and that's where I'm going to sell if you're long. So I want to say that it's, it should be mechanical, but it obviously there's, there's context and a lot of nuance to things. Um, So it depends on how balanced things are, whether or not I'm going to immediately start, looking towards the value area high or value area low as sort of being my definite level. What I always want to say is 
what you're looking at with profile is you're trying to get an idea of where price is being clearly rejected and where it's being accepted. And the more balanced you are, the better off you are if you're looking to trade a range. If you have a structure that is you know, very imbalanced, it might not make sense to just look back at the prior day's value area and consider that it's going to act like you know, how it's going to express itself in the way that a range would just because it's a value area, right? If anything, when you have consistency over time, that's when a level becomes more significant. So if you have prices stuck within a range, you have inside days, you have inside value, right? Where you have multiple periods of value overlap more than 50%, right? So it's not like we're beginning to trend where, you know, beginning of a trend might be point of control, mostly value, uh, value migration outside of a prior day's value, uh, I, I really just, when I'm looking at profile and I'm looking at the value area, I'm looking at a zone, right? A zone to, to start observing um, the kind of behavior that, you know, I, I might be more biased. So if we're building a range like we are now, um, I might be more long biased, honestly, even though we have a very significant move off the highs. Overall, I might be more long biased because we are 35% off the highs. We have... You know, we have a wick that has hasn't been really tested yet. I mean, more recently it has. We've probed into it again. Um, but I might be more inclined to look for the absorption at the lows than look for the acceptance through the lows. And that just might be sort of a personal defect and me looking for that more than just being open to either. Um, and then when it comes to playing the range, I might be more inclined to observe and possibly let things ride through the high rather than just immediately taking them off. But this is, this is something that is, you know, sort of the plague of being a discretional trader because right. that might be the way I think right now, but when we arrive at the high, when we <laughs> arrive at the midpoint of the structure, you know, it's ultimately, it's on me to start pulling that trade off or, or possibly looking for the behavior that leaves me in the trade. Um, and it does, it's no guarantee that it's even the right decision. Right. Um, so I, I think TPO a lot of times when, when you talk about value area, you talk about TPO, it it uh, it gets, I guess, um, looked at a little bit more seriously than it actually is. It's really just something that organizes the data a little bit better. Uh, the value areas, they are not really lines in the sand that I think need to be respected. They're just general regions where, hey, this is where shit kind of, excuse me, this is where activity kind of tapered off. Let's look to see if it tapers off again, right? Um, if we're, it all depends on also what kind of context we're com coming out of, right? So what are the, what's the last few days behavior? What is the last week's behavior? Are we like in, if we're, you know, if we're coming off of a very balanced day, I might be more inclined to expect that range to continue versus if we have, you know, a pretty imbalanced day and we're still just trading within value of that imbalanced day. So, I mean, it, it's all very context driven. Um, like I said, it's not perfect. So, and that's just kind of something you have to deal with when you're a discretionary trader is that you're going to have some of these approaches and rules and, and you know, you're, you're, you're trying to apply them consistently, but you're still kind of dealing with what is makes you human, which is ultimately mm -hmm. you making the decision for the last moment. So absolutely. No. And I, I think that distinguishes a lot of traders with, um, you know, experience and uh, success such as yourself um, understand that um, versus people that I've seen on YouTube um, with sort of just on the charts, um, for example, tone based, <laughs> um, <laughs> telling people what trades he would take 
<laughs> like on a five minute chart without actually taking the trade. I mean, it's, it's not the same thing um, until you yeah. actually execute it. Um, right. No, as far I, it seems like that um, you've been trying to uh, put on more swing positions um, from what I gather. Um, how's that been going for you? I mean, when you yeah, recognize so, the trend or a, a, you know, a swing trade condition, of course. So, yeah. So whenever I first, uh, when I, not when I first got involved in crypto, but when I first started trading crypto, I had a very passive swing trader approach. Um, I think that was just the best approach to have as I was still busy trading other markets. Uh, so I was, you know, I was largely, and at the time there was, we didn't have these tools. Uh, so if I was trading crude oil, you know, I had a dumb, I had, you know, central feed through CMA. Crypto was completely different. It's a completely different landscape now. Now you have all these tools. You can observe order flow in a completely different way, um, and you can trade it this way. I had a very swing trader type of approach. I got purely down to the lower time. I'd say 90% of my trading is is the intraday, and that means that I'm. It doesn't mean like when I'm. So one of the things about just the term scalping, for example, is like it's a really broad term. Like it. Some person might call themselves, you know, some trader might call themselves a scalper and they're trading the 30 second chart. And then you have another trader that calls himself a scalper. And it's just because they're trading intraday and they're trading a 15 minute time frame. Right. I'm an intraday trader and I look to take swings intraday if there's momentum. Um, but I'm going to be flat at the end of the night. My 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 swing positions where I am, you know, talking about getting involved in spot and looking to redeploy out of stables. This kind of change in positioning is, it needs to be, one, it needs to be around a very significant level. Um, it needs to be very market driven from the sense that, for example, if I, I got out of spot all completely in everything, and I'm talking about everything, so occasionally I'll get a question, I'm like, I'll do one of these, I'll do a stream, and then someone will hit me up in a DM like, hey, did you sell like XYZ coin? I'm like, listen, I'm out of everything. Um <laughs> And like I tell everybody, like I might talk about something, like I'll be in it for two months, but Lord knows, two weeks from now, I might have dumped that position. That's just the way I am, and it's it's kept me alive. On still holding that shroom. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I uh, I I'm, I got out at sixty between fifty nine and sixty. So I don't know exactly where I got out, but between fifty nine and sixty, when we started losing the prior weekly range highs, um, where the flip didn't occur successfully. So for me to get back in, I need to be at extremes. So I only want to redeploy spot and get heavy into spot at extremes. It's either extreme movement. So we are talking about movements that are multiple standard deviations, involve a lot of liquidations. So like we initially had. And what I find is I will have intentions of getting involved in swings at those extremes the first time it happens. But then I'm going to paper hand it and probably sell it and wait for development. Um, or so either it's driven by, you know, we have a, a large market event. So like we did, so significant sell off, um, which I usually will paper hand and sell after a few hours. Or we are at a very significant area market structure and, and developing price action. Right. So where we currently are, uh, I wanted to get involved earlier, close it out yesterday, got involved half and then talked about getting involved lower again. Um, I was getting involved a little bit earlier, like I said, taking the standard rally a little bit, you know, taking it for granted, essentially, uh, and then and things updated, right? NQ started just getting its ass kicked. Same thing with the S&P. It was like, well, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that and, like, bury my hand in the sand. Like, that's not good, you know? Right. 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I, I could change my mind on a dime. It's just always how I've been. But if I if I'm looking for redeploying spot and, and swing positions in general, I'm looking for kind of the higher time frame positioning and higher time frame market structure to line up. So for where we currently are, if we move sideways enough and we have, like I said, we, we've, we have a probe into the wick and we can reclaim the range lows. I look to get involved if we're able to reclaim the range lows. And we've had this, like we honestly, like we just had. So if we're able to hold this structure where we currently are, for example, uh, so back above, um, and it's actually not exactly where we currently are, but if we, let me just pull out a chart. So the lows, we keep making new lows, but we're, if we're able to trade and hold back above something like 47 or today's point of control, which is around, it's right around 47, um, then I would look to redeploy a, a swing position, which for me would be back towards the midpoint of the range, um, which is around 49.50 for the point of control of this entire structure, and then managing that and, and maybe getting that all the way up to, to 51.52. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that would be my most confident area to just completely redeploy. Uh, I'd rather, like I said, when it comes to swing positions, get involved around very significant contextual levels. So that might mean, honestly, a lot lower uh, because the way it looks, I mean, it's not like we have to go down there, but the next major swing low the most the attractive place to define a position would be around 4140 because it's attractive because if we don't hold it, it's, you know, it's screwed. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a clean way to define risk because it's like, well, the invalidation is so close. I want to get in my swing positions where the invalidation is extremely close to where I'm putting a position on. Um, if we're kind of like mid structure where we currently are, it's like, well, price could go up, it could go down. And it could do both of those and then still go up in the long run. And, and how would I know that I was invalidated at that point? Because it's just like we're we're just in this kind of choppy period. Um, so for me to get heavily involved would be a move much lower to around 40. It would be us successfully being able to trade above 50 and hold it on more of like a daily closing basis. Uh, or it would be honestly, and this is just the cost of doing business buying higher, it would be back above 60. If it was around where we currently are, and again, it's kind of in limbo, I want to see things that are more positioning um, oriented. So I would want to see, which we don't really have, that like sellers are offsides, right? Because what we're what we're expecting now is that this Bitfinex wall is the Great Wall of China, and who knows? Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's there to prop price up while some larger entity fills shorts. Um, so I can't just go. Where's the, the uh, Where's the volume located? Uh, the Bitfinex, the, there's, a, the there's a pretty, a really dense area between 45.5 all the way down to 44.5. So there's like a $100 window, which all the way down, it's like 40 BTC a clip every every $50 in price. Um, and then you have two very significant walls that are like 775 BTC at 445 and then 460 BTC at, um, at uh, 44.5. But um I would rather see that we don't have to rely on like the FOMO of, of flat spot traders getting back involved. I'd rather see that we're able to move sideways and we build up some kind of negative funding and we build up some type of longer time period of negative funding and open interest going up so that I could say, hey, maybe this is a good area because, you know, we have a lot of people trapped in position right now. It's like it's it's a bad spot because it might be, you know, this might be a good bottom to buy. Um, but I'm not as confident in it because we don't have any kind of larger buildup in open interest and funding has been, it's been on and off negative, but it's over the course of this structure, it's been more positive than anything else. 
Um, so if I'm getting involved in bigger swing positions, I want to see more of those stars align. Uh, and sometimes, like I said, like I'm ending up chasing things because they don't perfectly resolve. But that's where it's like, all right, so I have a generalist approach because I'm looking for swings also. Um, but I, I'm with spot, I'm actually willing to chase because I'm less sensitive to adverse movements in spot than I am in in perps, right, using leverage. So, you know, it's it's a lot to manage if you're trying to have this generalist approach, right, especially if you're looking to redeploy when you're flat. Um, maybe there's a case to be made for complete complete efficiency by just focusing on the low timeframes, but there's so much meat to be taken off of the bone when it comes to crypto because it trends really hard, right? You don't want to just be, you know, a five-minute time frame trader or, you know, an intraday trader because, I mean, there's times when it's nice to just kind of screw off for two weeks and forget about it because it moves strongly when momentum is behind it, right? Like anything else, but there's there's a lot more reflexivity in crypto. Um, hopefully that wasn't too long-winded and you got something out of that. Cause... No. Um, yeah, no, I did. It, it, your views on the market pretty much align with my views. They're just in a different um, sort of context. I mean, I'm, I use a lot of moving averages. Um, so I'm eyeing the 200-day right now as a macro pivot point. And I'm kind of looking at above the 20 daily is where we can start to you know, possibly see a little bit more bullish action. But right now, sort of teetering on the edge of the abyss, I mean, perhaps going down and testing the range lows of Bitcoin through this, you know, through the May, May dump and perhaps continuation from there. I mean, I'm just like everyone else. Um, I think most people are long-term bullish on Bitcoin. I think the Federal yeah. Reserve has a lot to say about the direction of the markets right now and the foreseeable future. Um, so when I say swing trading, I'm actually, I mean, me personally, I'm in position to the downside right now on Ethereum. Um, yeah. But that, again, that trade will be invalidated if Bitcoin gets back above um, the 20 daily. So it's funny. So before, um, before I'm going to take the next caller after this, but it's been a good talk. Uh, one thing that I mentioned on the stream today is as, you know, and this, again, could be this is always something where it's like you could be making a mistake, right? And you could be adding too much work into your process and, and might be able to clean it up by just having less steps or less discretion. Um, as a rule of thumb for me, you know, one thing I've been talking about for a long time and I don't you know, always harp on because it's just sort of a standard is I, I shared it in my stream today. There are some really useful trending signals that I will absolutely not sort of uh, turn my head to if we get them. Um, and often what I'm doing by trying to add all these other details is beat them, right? I want to, because with a trend-based signal, you're getting involved kind of late, right? A moving average is lagging. It's implying that you're buying higher. It's implying that you're selling before the turn because it's lagging, right? So there are, though, you know, a combination of um, the MACD on something like the two, three-day, weekly. When that thing turns, people might not want to take it initially because it looks like price still has some has some uh, fuel behind it, but often when that turns on the high time frame, that's it, right? It might take a week or a couple weeks after, but that's when, that's a sign that the market momentum is beginning to shift. So combining that with something like the 20 period moving average, which is great because that's your center Bollinger line um, on the daily, right? Combining that, you could use Heiken Ashi candles, which are great for, I, I think that those are great combining them with moving averages. 
These are great tools to use if you're just trying to systematically stay in the trend for the meat of the move. I'm trying to obviously beat that, right? I'm trying to get involved before the moving average crossover because the moving average crossover implies that we're going back, you know, the moving average crossover right now implies we're above like 52, right? So that means that I'm willing to give up $6,000 worth of, you know, of points or, you know, that amount of, of range before getting involved. I want to beat that, right? I want to get involved sooner. I want to time the market better. But needless to say, if we get those signals that are very commonly used by systematic traders, by, you know, less discretionary traders and by larger sort of positional traders, I'm not going to not get in position. Um, if it came to that and I just like arrived to the computer and I haven't already gotten position, right? If we get that signal, it's kind of like you're, it's kind of like when you have a major break of market structure that is on the weekly, right? It's like, well, who are you fading at this point? You're fading everybody if you're not getting behind this because now you have investors that are starting to maybe change their mind. Now you have position traders that are changing their mind. Everyone is getting involved around this area. What are you doing as a smaller fish not getting involved? So the same can be said with these trend tools where, like I said, there's some great signals to be taken, but I want to get involved earlier. But if if we get to that point where we're, we have a strong close through the 20, uh, 20 daily, right? And we're beginning to see that the MACD is flipping or, you know, whether you're using the hike and actually, I just gave a few examples. Um, I'm not going to not get involved there because at that point, a lot of the market's getting involved and it's it's a lot of the market that moves the market, right? So does that make sense? Yeah, I appreciate it. Good stuff. Good talking to you, Ryan. Same. Thank you. All right. So who is up next? I'll take the next caller. All right. X. Let's roll the dice. What are we talking about? And then Mitchell. Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. What's up? All right. Brilliant. Hi, Ryan. Uh, lovely to meet you. First off, thanks a lot for everything you're doing for us. Um, I learned a lot from you as, as a previous caller. So you're educating us a lot and you're giving back. So much appreciated. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about... Um, execution specifically so instruments and then you also told, talk a lot about you know I follow you a bit you talk about doing a lot of scalps and you know for th uh, 300 point moves um, so first on the instruments like what would you use like at the you know when we we're 30k lows when there was a big absorption a huge um, negative delta and uh, everybody got trapped below 30k would you use basically you know I think the best instrument there to to use would be like coin margin, the um, quarterly futures, because then you're not exposed to like funding and you could get a huge ride from, uh, you know, one bottom of the extreme of the range from 30 to 40 K to the, to the top of the to the top of the range. Was that, would that be something that you use or you just basically, you know, go always use uh, I don't know, tether, tether margin contracts and uh, trade tether. So it's so it's a great question because um, after we had moved down from the, the previous all time highs, I was I was flat. So um, I, I didn't time that top as good as I timed this one. And I'll be honest about that. I, I ended up riding that a little bit longer. Nothing dramatic, but I didn't get out at uh, where I should have got out. Um, but needless to say, I was flat by the time we even got to 45. I was 
I was completely flat and looking for trades, and I was in and out of stuff in the beginning of that range before we even got down to, to 30K. And if you guys remember, like, I was – I thought, you know, hey, I thought at some point we were going to touch at least 27. Um, and I got, like, a lot of nonsense from sort of, like, smaller people on Twitter that were just, like, coming out of the woodwork. Like, ah, you were bearish. And I was like, yeah, I thought we were going to tap 27. But if we, you know, I said if we reclaim the range, like, that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for the trap to set up. If we reclaim the range, I'm like, I'm not going to deny that. I'm getting involved, right? You don't need to hit 27. It could happen anywhere. Um, at that point, though, and it's like, what I was doing was what the rest of the market was doing. I was using uh, USDT margin futures to trade. I didn't want to have exposure to Bitcoin, uh, even in the underlying. Right? I was completely flat spot. And when I was trading, I was trading for, for the first time really consistently because I had always traded swaps. I was trading USDT margin because honestly, I was like, I don't want to like give more money back to the market. Like, I don't want to be exposed to the underlying. I just want to trade. I just want But we really, I, I don't, why would I want to give that back? And that's one thing when you trade perks is like you're still exposed to the market, right? You're still long. You're already long when you're on a when you're on uh, Bybit or Bitmax or Femax or anything. If you're trading an inverse perpetual swap margin in BTC, so I was trading the USDT margin of swaps. Um, that's only though, like for for my getting reinvolved. Uh, back when we reclaimed, I think I got, I ended up getting long again and saying like something like on Twitter, like, uh, the, the bear is dead. It's the bulls, you know, whatever, something dramatic and stupid, but, um, good night to the bear or something. Uh, when I got reinvolved at 32, I got reinvolved with spot. So I completely, you know, I got out of the spot, uh, rather got out of stable coins and just got reinvolved with spot because I figured we've had so many stabs at the lows. I'm just putting my spot exposure back on. Uh, I still started, I still kept trading with USDT margin futures though. Um, with USDT margin, the, the reason why we had such a significant squeeze is a lot of the market during that period, if you remember, going into from the middle of June into the middle of July, the market was yep. hedging largely with USDT margin swaps. So Correct, yep. whether they're hedging or they're shorting, the exposure was there more than coin margin. You know, you wipe out a lot of coin margin, and again, people are going to okay, get Okay, so you're going for that liquidity. So you're saying there's going to be a big short squeeze on the profile. You see a lot of shorts. Um, I think there was a lot of shorts, like at 34, 35. You're expecting a short squeeze. There was a lot of liquidity in, uh, in terror margin. So you basically, you know, start pushing into that. For, for, uh, well, that's because not... We saw... Sorry, so, I'm sorry. No, what I was saying was... Um, what what I was seeing and what uh, this was pretty a few other people were pointing this out too is uh, the open interest to market cap ratio was just kind of skyrocketing. So price was going down to the right and the open interest to market cap ratio was going up to the right and stable point margin contracts open interest was going up to the right as well. And the thing about those is when someone is short or hedged with one, if you're short with a coin margin swap and you close it out, you're you're re-exposed to BTC. But to gain exposure with a coin margin swap, it's like double the buying power getting back into the market. Because one, you got to buy back to close your short or your hedge, and then you have to buy to gain exposure to the underlying and to get long again. I didn't uh, I didn't wait for anything really specifically with this trade setup besides us reclaiming the prior low. So when I talk about traders getting caught off sides and seeing a shift. 
I'm looking at basically, okay, you're getting a bunch of volume into the lows. You can look at something like the footprint. You could look at CBD. You could look at Delta. Whatever tool you're looking at to gain access to this order flow data. But then what you still need to see is that price is able to trade back above that level and at that point hold it, right? Because then you can only start making a case for, okay, all that activity that came into the market. Now they're clearly off sides and price is able to hold this level that once it was unable to hold. Um, so for me, it was just getting re-engaged in spot and still trading uh, swaps just intraday. I, I don't really, when, when it comes to using instruments, I don't hold swings uh, in futures really. I mean, I might, I might hold them overnight if it's, a, if it's an amazing setup. Um, and it's not, it's honestly a lot of times it's not that it, it's, it's not often that it's just an amazing setup, meaning structurally, because I'll still end up like closing that out before bed because I'm like, I don't want to fucking wake up to anything. Um, but a lot of the times if I'm holding the rare case that I'm holding a swing with a futures instrument is if the market is like, it's got all the momentum in the world behind it. For example, when we ripped up from 30 K and we cleared the entire range and we're trading back above it now. Okay. The market clearly has, it's got, it's got a lot of momentum behind it. Now I'm more comfortable holding something until we get to the next area, which is around 50 K. And I'm saying comfortable holding, not spot because I was already in it, but comfortable holding, you know, swing position and perps uh, at that point overnight, right? Holding a swing beyond just the intraday. Um, 90% of my trading is going to be when I'm intraday trading is going to be, trading BTC margin swaps. Um, so trading this morning, BTC margin swaps. The only time when I really got into using USDT margin because I just was like, screw this, I want to be flat completely, uh, was during that range from mid-May to July. But that that's rare for me. I honestly, I like to trade coin margin swaps, especially if you're short, because it's safer to be short of coin margin swaps than it is to be short of USDT margin swap. Um, does that make sense? And when yeah, you absolutely. The market- absolutely. Same here. And I was just asking because a lot of people like are shorting Tether margin. I also basically prefer to be short um, coin margin because you're earning money. You're earning money on it. And basically, you know, if you don't have too much leverage, if you're 1x, 2x, 3x, you know, on 100 uh, uh, using your basically BTC as collateral, then it's you can earn a lot of money and then just basically close it once you're close to a bottom or some significant um, Significant level. Uh, super helpful. Um, I have another question regarding, you know, we're talking a lot about the market dislocations and this market is still inefficient. And there's times where there's really low, um, there's low liquidity, especially in the you know, FOMC times. You see basically market makers pulling all the volume for the order books. And there's this huge swings in usually both directions. How, how do you trade those? Because it's a very short kind of time frame to you. I don't know, open to like I I am trying to basically trade it from opening you know different positions on different accounts going into different directions so you kind of create a straddle um, create a straddle and then you just basically limit out uh, whichever direction it swings. And so I, the, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. No, continue. No, that was one. So I'm just I'm curious about these um, low volume moments. Also, when there's short squeezes, like we were squeezing from. Um, 63k to 69k. There was a big short squeeze. You know, Barry, it's going to be a big week. Nomad was pushing the volume up, and then it was a big short squeeze into that because we had a lot of resting liquidity above us. And you know, if if you trade that and if you go aggressively into it, you see a lot of lower lows, uh, um, it's uh, higher lows, higher lows, higher lows. The low, very low time frames. 
you can see that, and there's basically, you see people T-wapping. How aggressive do you go into those? Because there are, for me, those are one of the most profitable opportunities. And then also liquidations. I don't know, how, how do you determine uh, if we have like long liquidations now that we hit basically almost 41K or 42K, when do you get involved in those moves? Because um, I'm just curious, what do you look for? And how do you trade these opportunities in the market when there's either big liquidations from short squeezes or basically long cascades? And FOMC, where there's basically very thin volume in the market because market makers basically pull a lot of uh, orders from the books. So when it comes to any kind of period like the FOMC, one, I, I don't go into anything like that in position. Um, I can't say I never have, but I, I, I try to, you know, majority of the time that I've ever traded any kind of event, uh, I, I go into it flat. Um, two, I don't really uh, do the whole bracket sort of amateur market making where, you know, you'll put, uh, you know, offers and bids at the extremes, try to catch a wick. Uh, I honestly will just trade it naturally um, and basically mostly just at this point using the footprint and the tape, but I will size down uh, to a fraction of what I normally would trade because it's, it's when, when market makers and liquidity is pulled, uh, you know that price doesn't gradually move in one direction. It skips. So if you're wrong about a trade, you're wrong very fast and very far, right? It's, it's price blinks a couple hundred dollars during a period of high volatility when there's really nothing on the book. And it makes sense. You know, market makers don't want to get hit with any kind of toxicity. Um, when, when it comes to – so with, with periods of – so basically environment dictates positioning. So when the environment is thin, um, when spreads are getting blown out, I'm sizing down. When it comes to liquidations, uh, liquidations are one of the best opportunities that you can get involved um, if you're trading uh, futures or if you're trading spot, right? But if you're trading futures, when you have a massive amount of liquidations, you have a couple different things that take place. One, once, uh, so all I'll say with liquidations and give you sort of like breadcrumbs is there's a certain value that we hit within the low timeframes that is, you know, it's outside of the norm. Right. So what you're looking for in any if you're looking for fading anything, usually a lot of times it's something that is outside of the normal expectation of values. Right. So you're looking for something that's multiples. Right. So, you know, you might have a very significant move, but it might not come with a lot of liquidations. Um, another thing with liquidations is when you have the mark price and the index price dislocate, if you're trading futures, you know that traders back in March 2020 were able to put on like ridiculously leveraged positions. Yeah. Because their stop was, it was there was no way it was going to get hit, right? It wasn't. There was no way, but it was like a free trade after that liquidation cascade resolved. Um, so with liquidations, I I don't just look at the liquidation value. I look at spreads getting blown out. So you look at just if you could if you could look at an order book, you could look at you know book maps can be useful to look at the spread. Um, you'll see spreads get blown out, right? So you'll see massive gaps in spreads. There's a blowout across most exchanges for the most part. It's difficult to keep them in line. Uh, but then any once the order book, once the exchange um, liquidation is done, more or less cleaning out the liquidations, it takes a very little amount of volume to move price back in the opposite direction. And this is where, you know, a lot of it comes down to discretion, nuance, and 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 screen time. Because it's it's the kind of trading opportunity that is incredible, but if you're early to it, it's very painful. Uh, so when it comes to liquidations, I don't trade the I don't trade the liquidations usually with uh, I, I usually excuse me don't trade liquidations with futures. Um, 
even though you can have that case where you'll have the index and the mark price dislocate, and yeah, you can get a free leverage, you know, high leverage long. I only will trade spot during those periods. So, and at that point, I'm probably already flat, so I'm looking at redeploying. Um, but you know, again, it's if you're on the wrong side, you're 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 on the wrong side, and it's ugly, right? So you don't. It's one of those things where I think it just takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of experience and, and seeing how enough of them play out to realize, like, okay. You know, one, it's going to come after a move that is, you know, two, you know, three, four, maybe standard deviations and norm for what is expected in, you know, current, whether it's hourly ATR or half hour ATR. Um, you're going to see, obviously, multiples of what the average amount of liquidations are for a standard candle movement size that's similar. Uh, and then two, looking for the spreads to blow out. And then by the time that you see, the first amount of buying volume have a material impact on price in the opposite direction. You really only have like a few seconds to get involved after that, right? Because what you see is you get a massive amount of liquidations, the book stalls, and then the little bit amount of buying that comes in starts to very easily move price back in the opposite direction. And at that point, it's like, it's a judgment call. You have to either get involved or you miss it, right? Because if you get involved too late, price has already jumped up four or $500, um, so I think these are just, you have to, this is the kind of thing where you just have to be taking enough of them to see how that dynamic plays out. It's not as easy to say like, oh, this is the formula for it, but it is, you know, if you go through something like Coinalyze or a platform that has a chart of the liquidations, you could see, okay, this is where I should start drawing the line and paying attention, right? It's not 5 million contracts liquidated, but hey, maybe it's 50 million contracts liquidated. Right when we start to approach that threshold where we could expect some kind of meter version, um, and it's also paying attention to the tape because you're seeing them flow through. Yeah, um, great advice. I'm looking at that exactly. So I'm looking at liquidations. I'm looking at when the open interest really drops. There's a significant change in yeah. open interest, and then also the spreads. Well, the spreads are tricky because they can, you know, between different perps across different exchanges, they can blow up to five, 5% five or even sometimes 10% across different exchanges. And it happens multiple times during that cascade. If you look at the cascade down to 40K, that just happened. There was like three periods when the, the spreads blew up, like up to five, five plus percent. So it's difficult to get involved. I just, I, I also just got involved with spots. Like at the bottom, I layered it up. But um, with perps, it's just it's more scary to get involved, especially if you're corn margin because of the convexity and you just like you can get blown up quickly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, exactly. Super helpful. And then lastly, like on the short squeezes, do you trade short squeezes? Because like there was a, an amazing trade, you know, the, on the short squeeze, basically from 30K up. Do you get involved in those? And what is kind of what are what are you looking for to get involved in those? When you see like I was looking at a lot of lower lows, uh, higher lows, higher lows, higher lows, t whopping all the way, you know, until the price, the price is slowly grinding up, T-Wapping, and then basically you have this huge blow-off. I mean, um, that, that, that went from, I don't know, it was 34 or 35K to all the way to 40. And it will be a very profitable trade. Same happened from 63K to 60, what was it, 67K. I, um, so I, I, just to be honest, like I, I appreciate being involved in a short squeeze when I'm exposed to spot, but I don't often try to time short squeezes, uh, because a as you see across markets as a whole price after gradually stair stepping its way up, if you're looking at, you know, price behavior after, you know, someone is T whopping, for example, um, it very quickly, when you have no interruption of those lows that are, that were created, uh, 
the short squeeze, if you're not timing it perfectly, sort of, I guess, like the long liquidation, um, you're screwed very fast, right? So I don't look for that last sort of exhaustive spike. Um, I'd much more rather, I'd much rather on the long side be involved in the stair step on the way up versus try to time that last exhaustive push. Because after that exhaustive push, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's a great opportunity if you're limiting out right away and you catch it perfectly. Um, and not to say I haven't, but it's not something that I, it's not really something I try to look to build up, right? I'm not actively looking for um, the short squeeze setup uh, as much as I am looking sometimes for the opposite, which is the long liquidation setup. So I'd rather be on the opposite side of the short squeeze, honestly. Uh, I'd rather see the short squeeze take place. I'd rather see us sort of single print gap our way up. And there's like the vacuum, the air pockets in the book. Uh, and then I'd rather honestly get short on the other side of that than actually look to be long with the short squeeze. Understood. Yeah. I, uh, do you add to, if you're in a long position as the price is going gradually, going up from, from a swing point, do you add into that short squeeze? Do you basically add, um, do you compound your your position when it's starting to squeeze up? I mean, it's, it, I mean, like I said, it's, it kind of, it's not something that I could think of off of my head that I can say, Oh yeah, yeah I absolutely do. <laughs> I want to yeah, say yeah. that I've, you know, I've been after doing this and trading for 15 years, probably many times when I have probably worked out great many times and also probably didn't work out great also on many other occasions as well. Um, but no, I, in general, I try to compound positions. Um, but you know, not for nothing, like a lot with crypto, when the regime is strong and we have a lot of momentum, a lot of times I'm fully exposed spot, right? Like I'm exposed spot and then I'm just trading around everything intraday with uh, futures products. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, uh, when things are good, it's either I'm all in or I'm not. Uh, and, and I think that that's, you know, I, I have a decent read on that. Uh, and then I just focus on the low time frames. Um, but yeah, I can't say that I actively look to add into the short squeeze. Not to say that I haven't, because it, it all depends on, honestly, it depends on how much time is built up. And then at that point, how much time is between those? Like, if we are, if you go back to 2019, after we put in like that really long accumulation structure, and then price was just grinding its way up, um, that was a moment where I had gotten long on and off without throughout the range. But actually, I didn't long the Pico bottom. You know, I, I, I want to sit here and say, like, oh, I long the bottom. I did, and then I sold. But I did long into that break, uh, which ended up taking us back up to 6K. Because it was like, all right, you know, we have this buildup right now. Uh, price is grinding up, and there's so much time now between the last two points where we rejected. So, you know, this, is, this might not even be fresh in everyone's memory, uh, but this is going back to... We're talking about uh, this is April of 2019. We had yeah, from 4K bunch, to 6K. Yeah. yeah, we had a bunch of really violent corrections, right? So you remember like the correction in February. This is like February. We bounced off of 4,200. Um, and then we just grinded our way back up to that point. And it kind of goes to the, the same concept within profile. It's like as I, as I talk about whenever I talk about like single prints and you know, tail, buying tails or selling tails and reapproaching them, what you would expect. It's like, hey, this was an area that the market like said, it said, you know, fuck off to in the past. So we shouldn't be able to just chill in this area and hang out again in the future. And if you are, you know, that's a sign that, hey, things are kind of different this time around. And that was the case where I, I ended up getting very long into that because it was kind of like the market was 
starting to boil, right? And, and pressure was building up. But that was, you know, we're talking about from, no, we put in the lows in November, December, and it took us all the way to April to get back to that point. Um, whereas timing it on the low timeframes for me is just not as attractive as it is if it's setting up on the high timeframes over a longer time period. Understood. Ryan, thank you so much. This was amazing insight, folks, so I really appreciate it. I have one last very short question. Who are your most, who do you most admire from CT in terms of traders? Who do you think are really good traders? And you basically would give them a shout out to follow as well. Oh, uh, hands down. Uh, one of the groups I'm in, um, uh, GCR, so Gigantic Rebirth, Rebirth Dow, I'm in with him. Um, absolute monster of a trader. Uh, Light Crypto, um, Hasaka. Hasaka is an incredible trader. Um, uh, who else is there? Sisyphus. Um, if you uh, if you send me a direct message, I'm following. No, I'm following them. I'm following them. But they're like, you know, I'm more trying to do basically like the bitcoins. They, they're doing a lot of shorts. I mean, they do they short a lot, and they basically build like short positions on a lot of alts, and they go into the details. You know, they understand yeah. really deeply on. Oh, each, I don't know, let's say each DeFi platform and the basically what's the active, the underlying valuation and they really get into yeah. the whole ponzinomics of it and then, then they know when to short. They really can time it really well and they have enough capital like they have all above 100 million basically bucks to, to kind of... Yeah, to kind of, yeah. So, I, yeah, uh, I love them. They're amazing. It's just, uh, it's hard to... Um, they have some... Replic- they, I think... They have some good advice, but they're not very, like, they're very, uh, how do you say, they don't, they don't publish a lot of things they do, or basically at least their strategies. They're very secretive, I would say, about how they do it. Oh, what I, what I would say then, if you're talking about more along the lines of, like, the intraday Bitcoin traders and um, more technical side that are more open about things, you know, this, this one gets a lot of hate, but you either love him or hate him, but he's brilliant uh, in silico. So in Silico posts a lot of shit posts, yeah. but he posts a lot of really knowledge, knowledgeable stuff. He has like, you could ask him for his archive of stuff that he, that he's posted. Um, Jim is a good scalper. I, you know, from, from what I gather, Jim is a, a great trader. Um, uh, Jim Talbot, I think, the, you know, yeah. Cat, yeah, I know them. I know um, them. Uh, Adam, Magus, those guys. Magus. Yeah. So yeah. Adam as well. Adam was a block roots member. He's a great trader. He was a trader before he became a block roots member, but um, those are all great traders to follow as well. I mean, if you, yeah, if you send me a DM, I'll, I'll make you like a little bit of a list with some more specific people to follow based on what you're looking for. But yeah, there's a bunch Brilliant. of people to follow that are great. I really appreciate your time, Ryan. You're super helpful and, um, keep it up. I mean, we, we're learning so much from you and you're giving back. So we really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Have a good one. Cheers. All right. Uh, light work, love. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for your amazing podcast. It's been very enlightening to hear. Oh, Um, thank you. Don't have any personal questions as of now. I just wanted to give you thanks. Shout out for all that you shared. I appreciate that. Much blessings to you and your family. Well, thank you. And if you have any questions, you just feel free to hang back and Ask away. Okay, Mitchell. <clears throat> hey, Ryan. So, hey, how's it going? Uh, 
Ah, it's going great. Um, so I got a question about, um, you know, I know you do like a lot of intraday trades. Um, so how do you get caught up in like, you know, for example, or not get caught up, let's say in buying the dip, right? Like, uh, for example, um, from like the FOMC meeting, right? Something that looks bullish and then, you know, it just completely, uh, mean reverts and, you know, so many people get caught up in the trap of, you know, buy the dip, stop, buy the dip, stop, buy the dip, stop. Yeah. So one, I think that's just, uh, and this probably gets old and sounds cliche, but it's true. It's just the experience of doing that over and over again a long time ago and realizing that it doesn't work. Um, that, and you just have to know that, so with regard to specific events, like an FOM state, in the first, like, so during it, it's going to be a, like a, a shit fest, right? It's going to be a ton of volatility. You're going to have a lot of algo behavior. You're going to have machine learning algos that are just interpreting everything that's being said. Um, you're going to have individual traders and, and people imposing their views on you know, the words that are coming from Powell. It's a, it's a really volatile period. Um, and not for nothing, it's, it's a time where, like I said, you know, in the first half hour, you're not going to get any kind of real directional insight. If anything, if a move comes, it's going to be something that would probably be fade worthy, right? Because a lot of the times uh, after a presser, you'll see that, you know, in the half hour after, there might be a really strong trend, but more often than not, the market's going to completely reverse that. Um, so you, you just have to, I think, see en enough of those to not FOMO. Uh, and to not chase anything, especially during those periods, because there's a lot less liquidity. Uh, and that's part of the reason why. And it's because you're going to have liquidity providers that just pull out because of behavior that comes in during those periods. So it's going to sort of be like one helps the other. Um, you know, it's like uh, you know, the lack of liquidity and the, the unwillingness at that point for market makers to step in around that area is going to sort of aid um, the volatility to begin with. Uh, as I said, during or pre-FOMC, give it, on average, it's, it's around like one to two days before anything really develops. And after that, so after whatever trend develops is usually going to be the trend that um, ends up persisting. But this is something that, you know, this is relatively new in terms of its impact on the crypto market. As of the last, you know, 18 months, it's been important or 20 months now, um, whereas these macro uh, macro events or things that have um, macro implications and, and, you know, whether it's uh, talk about rates or uh, anything that comes out of Powell's mouth, pretty much you could go down the line, right? Like when Yellen talks now, when Powell talks, you see that Bitcoin responds the same way that, you know, the S&P does. Um, it, it responds, period, right? It responds to things that for the longest time it was very disconnected from. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's honestly knowing that one, the first half hour is going to be garbage anyway. Uh, you're not going to get anything meaningful, meaningful from it. The only way, and this is why it's like, it's kind of important to have a playbook into these events. Um, at least some kind of loose framework. You don't have to have anything really specific, but you know, a loose framework is, is helpful. So as I said, and I think I said it on Twitter, um, I said something along the lines like, hey, it's a very slim possibility that it's, that it's dovish. But if Powell on the off chance is, uh, and he ended up obviously being more hawkish than anything or more hawkish than expected. But if it was dovish, then yeah, like I'm probably looking to get involved in the pullback after that first half hour period. But if it's not, if it's more or less as expected, I'm kind of, I'm going to trade intraday, but 
I wouldn't expect anything to come from it that's serious, that has legs for the next day and a half, two days. Um, so it's kind of having this understanding of how these events unfold. Um, there is, you know, there's a lot more efficiency in the crypto market now. So it used to be that there was a little bit of a lag. Now there's not really that much of a lag. Uh, so it's not like, you know, for a while you could actually, with certain events that affected the S&P, you could expect that you might've had like a short period of time, like this little bit of latency before things actually spilled over into crypto. But now it's like, it's almost tick for tick. Um, so really I think it's, it, it's having the experience to manage your expectations of those events and know like, eh, sometimes it's like, if, if you're beginning, if you're starting out as a trader and just kind of beginning to find your way around, these events are good to observe more than they are trade, uh, if anything. Um, and you know, this is just something, like I said, it comes with, it comes with experience. There's plenty of people that love to trade these events. Uh, I think that they're very exciting to trade. I, I, I like event-based trading. Um, I, like I said, I don't go into it with any bias. I mean, I, I might, but I, a lot of times with macro stuff, I, I want to say that I have a bias, but the chances are is that my bias has been impressed on me by people who are smarter than me. And at that point, like I can't be taking positions on what other people think, uh, especially into an event like that. I just, I go into it flat 99% of the time. Um, and yeah, understand that what takes place within, it's like a, you know, you gotta think it's like a half hour period after our period where the market is just kind of digesting everything that just took place. Uh, and during it, it's just, it, it's high frequency trading, just chewing up people that think anything serious is going to come from it during it. And the only way that, you know, something would have come from, let's say this more recent one um, during it, meaning like if, uh, if Powell was, was dovish and it was interpreted that he was dovish, I would say you would have got a really significant move by markets. And if you were able to get involved in that in like literally the second after that was interpreted that way, and this is where, just again, uh, you, if you're looking at like a data feed on the computer or the TV and you don't have a Bloomberg terminal or Reuters or, you know, uh, a direct feed, you're getting a late signal. Um, so by the time you think it's time to interact based on your interpretation you know, a bunch of other quants have already programmed something to interact to his lack of language or his inclusion of language, or whether or not, like I said, you know, leading up to it, hey, is he reading from a script or is he winging this one uh, and making the decision based on that already? Um, so, I mean, these events are, they are, uh, they're very nuanced. Um, they're not, I wouldn't suggest everyone try to jump and get involved in them because again, there's so much there's so much volatility during them. And if you have the wrong expectations, right, you're going to end up being like in and out of positions thinking, you know, if, for example, during, uh, during the, so right after two o'clock, I think it was right after two, um, the S and P just like took out the lows. Uh, I don't know if it took out the lows, but it dropped like, it might not have taken out the lows, but I think it just dropped like 30 points. Um, let me just go back to it right now. Honestly. Uh, I think it just dropped like 30 points. Um, and where is this? Wait one sec. Let me just go back. Trying to find it. Yeah, the S&P just, it, it looked like it was going to fall off a cliff. If you are not used to this, you're going to think what? That that's like a big move that's going to lead to a much larger move instead of knowing like, oh no, it's going to do this a couple times in the next 10 minutes, right? As, uh, you know, Al goes sort of sort this thing out. Um, does that make sense? Right. I hope you got something from that. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the insight. I, I, I think, you know, my kind of thought process going into it was like, everyone was so bearish leaning up to it that I, you know, I actually uh, did take some longs uh, leading up to it, leading up to that massive dump, just because like, I thought it could be, you know, the, the age old, you know, uh, buy the news, you know, sell the event uh, just in reverse. Or, yeah, buy the rumor, uh, sell the news, just in reverse. And then, um, so another thing is, like, you know, I've, I've been, it took me a little while, but, like, I'm, I'm finally, like, feeling like I'm actually, like, uh, competent in trading. But, you know, I know that, like, um, you know, as a trader, like, you're uh, something that, like, some traders say, and, like, you know, you have to use stop losses and risk management and all that. But, like, sometimes, it, you know, in the nuance of trading, it's not always that easy. Like, uh, I guess, do you always use hard stops? And then, like, how have you avoided uh, blowing up, um, you know, even through, like, you know, the 2008 crisis um, and uh, events like that? Uh, so when it comes to stops, I mean, I, I don't always use stops. Um, and I've I, I went over to a few times to help people out to get a little bit more specific. When it comes to trending positions, <clears throat> you have to... Yeah, I'll have an idea of where my invalidation is. You should always have an idea of where your invalidation is, period. Um, the kind of common way to define invalidation in crypto is market structure. But yeah, if you're trading something that trends a lot, you have to incorporate not market structure necessarily, but you know what what is the what are the characteristics that make the trend the trend, right? So something like um, expected volatility. Um, uh, ATR, these things are things you should incorporate into your stop because a trend moves, you know, a trend moves unpredictably, but it has an overall trend to it, right? So it has a certain amount of noise that you have to allow for and more or less, I would say, just give price breathing room. So when it comes to trending markets uh, or just swing positions, um, again, you could default to certain tools like moving averages. Um, you could use something like a volatility stop, which is a um, it, it's a running average of one or two standard deviations of what the current ATR is. Um, I obviously try to avoid getting out based on just those signals and try to get out a little bit earlier. Like I said, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I always have an area that is well-defined that I'm absolutely going to get out of position and have a tail risk stop on, period. Um, I've never had an issue with uh, my stop getting hit that is a, a tail risk stop getting hit in a trending market because a lot of the times by the time that we are looking at moves that are really that violent it's after the market has consolidated and moved sideways long enough for me to start saying like ah, eh, uh, probably gonna end up pulling some of this position off or hey maybe we're starting to look back in the opposite direction uh, so i tighten things up um so i'll end up dragging a, a hard stop up you know if, if we've trended you know from 30, let's say, for example, more recently from, um, you know, something like 40K and we're all the way up to, you know, the underside of the previous structure now within above 50, I'm not like, I'm locking a lot in. Like I'm starting to ratchet my stop up with the next area of market structure at that point. I'm not giving it, um, let's say, for example, just to clear this up, if, you know, when price broke above the underside of the prior range that we were within from March to May, uh, when we broke up within above rather 50k, at that point I'm dragging my stop up to 50k. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm gonna give price breathing room beyond 50k because the trend says to do that. Uh, I'm dragging my stop up to structure. With 
low time so for higher time frame positions for trend based positions for trend following as a whole you have to take into account the overall characteristics of the trend right so expected volatility you know again you could use moving average you could use atr some type of multiple of that um you could drag a stop up structure but a lot of times what you see structure get hunted right so you have to at least give it breathing room like i said when it comes to lower time frame trading to be honest i don't i don't use hard stops um i get i you know i might have a stop on occasionally like I was streaming today and I was trading during the stream. Um, I yanked myself out of three trades before my stop was hit. During the stream, I put a stop on because I was like, honestly, guys, I don't generally have a stop on when I'm scalping. I will more often than not have an area where, yeah, I wouldn't absolutely, I would absolutely not want to be in a position anymore, but I'm pulling myself out well before we get there. If I get in position for a scalp on the basis of, let's say, let's say, you know, Bybit gets long 10 million bucks into a, you know, above a swing high and we're looking at a mousetrap setup, that 10 million contracts that got long is my area where I don't want to be in the trade anymore if we're back above it. Like, I don't want to like say, oh, I'm going to put a stop now, you know, 100 points above this. Well, no, my trade idea is that this guy rolls over and let's go. Um, if we start trading above that, well, yeah, maybe I'm wrong and let me get out and I'll try again if it comes around, but I'm not going to wait to get stopped out. But I will, if I, in the case, and I use this term tail risk stop, if I'm trading um, and I'm stepping away, if I am, like I said, during the stream today, I'm not paying attention as much, I'm streaming, but I, I'm trying to trade and stream at the same time, then I will put on something that is, that's within what would be, you know, or rather outside of what would be expected volatility, but further out than would possibly a sweep uh, interact with. So something that is basically there so that if shit gets out of hand, it's not taking me down with it. It's maybe a little bit more than I would want to be stopped out for, but it's not anything that I'm going to worry about. Uh, you know, I don't think that it's going to be a part of the trade I'm currently in, meaning I, uh, if, meaning, excuse me, let me clarify that. I have the stop on, but if price goes up to it, I'm not waiting to get stopped out. I just have it there in the case that I walk away. Because like I said, not, I guess the best way to say this is not, 99% of the time, I am pulling myself out of lower time frame scalps manually, immediately when they don't work. And not immediately, but like it's a, there's a very important time factor with some of these lower time frame uh, order flow trades, right? So, so if the market is moving fast and I'm trading very, uh, very fast market, the trade setup should occur quickly. Uh, if the market is moving slowly, I'm a little bit more patient with, with the position. Uh, I, I might not be monitoring as much, but for all intents and purposes, most of my trades involve me yanking myself out um, once it doesn't do what I want it to do. And so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of time involved in that, meaning not time and screen time, but obviously there is. But um, time is an important component. If a trade, for example, if uh, and this is a case where it's good to have a screen so, so you guys can see. But if we're looking at a swing failure setup and, you know, we see. All right. So this is a low that we've all been focused on. You know, an area where liquidity could be hunted, and we see. You know, price breaks it. There's a ton of selling that comes in. You know, this is at a. Uh, you know, again, a significant low. A bunch of selling comes in. Um, the idea behind the swing failure is that that selling is coming in, but it's you know it's a poor decision on part of the sellers because they're about to yank for a ride. If we see a bunch, if I see a bunch of selling come in, I immediately want to see that part of that setup is that that trade those that volume gets caught off sides, right? So I want to see prices able to trade back above that level. If that selling comes in and we still continue to trade below that selling, well, kudos to them. They're still on sides. They're in good position. 
selling is actually having an impact on price, we keep moving down, right? So I, I want to see that the I want to see that the level is uh, for that particular setup. I want to see that we are in that case puking in the opposite direction pretty quickly because I don't want to so, move around in the position. So in that case, that would just be like you you just want to see. Um, you know, a bunch of trap sellers and then just like your typical like CBD divergence and like a, a bunch of uh, delta in the other direction, just pushing them off sides. Yeah. So if it's a mousetrap setup, it doesn't even have to be the CBD. CBD is usually for like more of a intraday swing or a setup that's taking course, you know, it's, it's taking its time over the course of the day or even a couple of days. Um for the lower, like really low time period setups where it's looking at traders get, you know, in a, a market that's moving violently where traders are getting caught off sides and getting really aggressive, uh, it's usually just the footprint and the tape. So, you know, you have an area in the market that you're focused on as an area where, hey, this is a make or break level. So make or break implies that a lot of people are going to be acting around that level. The level, if I'm saying it should fail, it should fail pretty quickly. Um, if if, if, for example, like it's the difference between like a fake out and a breakout, um, you see when a fake out occurs, you know, price takes out a high, you get a bunch of people behind it because, hey, it looks like it's a breakout and immediately price trades back below where all that volume came in. And then you got to think, like, how would I behave if I just got long there with, you know, five million contracts? Well, I'd start thinking about whether or not that position was right. Right. And at that point, if you start falling below that volume, you know, that volume initially is going to act as resistance on the way back if the position is is likely going to continue back in the opposite direction. Because that person who, for example, got long, um, now that they're getting a chance to get out, they're probably going to, I mean, like I think about myself, like if I'm underwater in a position, a lot of the times um, I'm going to be like, all right, let me get out of this and reevaluate. So that breakout trader selling is going to help price reject that level again. So if we're able to come back to that level instead and trade above it, it's like, all right, no, this is a breakout. It's getting, you know, price is accepting above here. And at that point, once a lot of time, like if you go back and watch the stream today, I took, uh, so I think I took four trades during the stream. Um, I, uh, I was trying to top tick. I had, a, I had two levels in mind. It was VWAP and then um, 40, I think it was 47, 40, it was 47.350 maybe. So let me just go back. Uh, yeah, it was 47.350. Um, so I had those two levels in mind. I took the short off of VWAP. I closed the position out. I, I said, okay, this is where my stop is right now. It's 100 points above. I said, if this doesn't sell off right here, I'm going to get out because if price is able to sell and hold, it's probably going to squeeze further up. Um, so sure enough, it squeezed up into the range. And then I got involved before I should have got involved because I said, Hey, the next place I want to get involved is 47,350. Uh, and I got involved mid range because I saw, Hey, maybe it looked like buyers are getting more aggressive. And again, price was able to stall back below and look like, Hey, maybe this is going to be the turn. It wasn't price continued to hold that level. And I got out again, so I didn't get stopped out, but I just pulled myself out of the trade. Uh, and then ultimately when we swept, um, 350 into four, there was a bunch of volume that came in. Price tried to trade back above that level. More volume came in, but again, lost the level again. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a lot more confident in this position now. And I ended up making back more than obviously what I scratched for originally. But, you know, I was in and out of position because, hey, you know, I had an idea. You know, it should, it should move quickly. A lot of the times, most of the trades I'm putting on, I want to get paid immediately. I, get, I don't want to be in a – if I'm in a scalp 
and I'm looking at this particular setup and it doesn't resolve in the next 30 seconds, you know, chances are it might be getting accepted at that level and those buyers or those sellers might be on sides and maybe price is going to continue in that direction. I got figured out somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that, that totally makes sense. But, uh, you know, I guess your, your invalidations must be pretty small then. And like, um, I guess that wouldn't that just, so that'd be like part of your minus R is just like, uh, eating like the trading fees, uh, more often. Yeah. Like, are, are you, are you, you're usually entering at, at market, I assume. Yeah. So what I was doing today, and this is like where it'll change up depending on how I'm feeling about particular setups or where we are. Uh, majority of the time I am marketing into positions and limiting out. Um, uh, you want to get if I'm marketing into a position, yeah, of course I want to make up for it at some end, uh, to some degree on the back end. So I want to limit out. And a lot of times you'll see, you know, I've traded during my streams a lot, and I'll scale out of the position as it's moving in my favor. I'll take some off, at least take off the initial risk, uh, which is a good idea okay. for a lot of people to take off the initial risk. Um, if a so for certain setups. For very low time frame, these very sort of trappy setups in the low time frame, you really can't get involved with a limit order to get in unless you are stepping in the way sort of prematurely before the setup even takes place. Because what right. I'm looking at is volume to get trapped and then it to not be able to trade above that level again. So if I see that trapped, Odds are that if I was trying to get involved with a limit order, that if the trade is going to really work out, a limit order should be able to get filled again, right? It should be the case that sellers take over and that that selling, the longs start unwinding in the case it's a long setup that's going to roll over. Um, so at that point, it's like, I want to help the movement by tagging on at market. And it's kind of like, that's the only opportunity you have anyway, because it's such a time is of the essence setup, right? So this should happen very quickly. Um, and I have to get in at market and I'm scaling out with a limit. Uh, if I'm not as confident in the setups or particular area, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, today I got involved with two of the trades where I tagged on half. Um, and then I looked to get filled for the remaining half by chasing with a limit. And, and I think on both of them, I didn't get filled for the limit. I think on uh, both of them, I ended up completing, I scratched. Is that, half. is that with like, do you use like an in silico terminal for that or just you're no, actually manually no. doing it? So I'm just using the DOM. So I, uh, it's very easy to chase on a DOM because I have it set up so I could either, I could buy the ask, I could buy at market, um, or I could just, I could immediately trail up in, in the bid. Okay. Um, but for example, in the two trades where the first two trades where I scratched, if I'm just remembering this correctly without having to go back and watch it, uh, I scratched on the first two trades, but I only scratched on half my size because I wasn't filled for the complete position. Um, so some people actually, and this is some other traders will do this, they'll actually will have a stop, a hard stop, but it'll actually only be for half the position. So they will have, they're willing to get stopped out for half of the position if it goes against them, uh, but they'll look to get filled on the remaining half and maybe it goes in their direction to sort of counterbalance out the first stop. Um, but just as I guess a, a good answer as a whole, most of my trading is market in limit out um, unless it's a swing position, unless I'm trying to top tick or bottom tick. And if I'm top ticking or bottom ticking, it's, it's a case where we are returning back to a level after a long time being away from it. 
Um, and then at that point, I'm probably putting limits from the bottom of the wick or the top of the wick uh, to 130-minute ATR outside of that level. So what would I expect would be the normal sweep of the book or sweep of that level. So if you're looking at like the more recent low where today we took out the low of the 13th, and that was around 45.6, um, one ATR out of that level would be scaling limit orders from 45, which was, it was right around 45. I think that prior low was right around 45.7. This was right around 45.8, excuse me. Um, 45.8 limits down to something like 45.3. Uh, because a lot of times ATR, and that's, that's why ATR is a good tool to use as well to place a hard stop. Because if you're going to place a hard stop, like you have to think they get hunted all the time. Um, they're not going to get hunted to the point where, you know, the price is going to puke through the level if the intent is actually reversing. So sometimes it's good to at least have your stop outside of one and a half, you know, whether it's 1.5 or two times the half hour ATR in that, in that uh, particular case. Um, but yeah, most of the time I'm marketing in and limiting out uh, swing positions. Yeah. If I can, I, I want to be as efficient as possible. So even for swing positions though, like I hate to just exhaust you with this answer, but even for swings, like I want the thing about, and you'll hear this from a lot of veteran traders is until you put a position on, you don't really have a feel for the market. Once you, once you actually have a, a dog in play, you start to look at things differently and it, you just sharpen up a little bit. Like your, your attention is a little bit more focused. So even when I'm looking at building a, like let's them uh, let's let's just use this for example this is where we currently are. Um, let's say you know we're moving sideways, we're not continuing to to break lower. You know that bit the next wall, man. Like they've put in some lows and highs before, and man, they're not going anywhere. Okay, so that's cool, but that's not enough. All right, so price is moving sideways, funding is going more negative, open interest started to build up. Maybe we have some traders offsides. Okay, I'm still I'm I'm probably tagging on half of my. I'm probably tagging on, if not half, a quarter of my spot repositioning just at market. Honestly, just to get exposure. Um, just to, if the market gets away from me, I have the exposure. Uh, and then I'm looking to, with a swing position, to limit the rest in over the, you know, over an area, right? Where I'm saying, okay, um, this looks good. Uh, there is an area where I wouldn't want us to puke through at this point. If we're going to say these lows are defended, they shouldn't. I don't want to see it give way at this point, but I'm willing to scale in between, you know, uh, between point A and point B. And I'm trying to get filled in with the limit for the remainder. Sometimes I chase that sometimes I'm chasing it, sometimes I'm not, but I'm at least trying to balance out the cost that I incurred by marketing it, marketing it. Now, not for nothing, just to be completely transparent and honest, um, you know, I, I probably don't pay the same fees as everybody, you know? So I have some pretty decent arrangements to where my, my at market fees are not the same like out of the box as like you're, you know, if you're on a, if you're a first time trader on an exchange and you're marketing in, <clears throat> like if you're on Coinbase, <laughs> if you're on Coinbase and you market in, uh, you know, $100,000 and you market out, well, I mean, I think you paid a 1% for that round trip, right? But if you're doing volume on exchanges, you know, chances are you have a, you, hopefully you've come to an agreement and said, hey, I'm, I'm putting points on the board on your exchange, like give me a break here. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's why I think like woo trade is uh, so interesting is uh, that just whole low fee environment. Um, but I guess I don't I don't have any uh, further questions. I, I really uh, appreciate uh, the well thought out answers that you gave.
Thanks, man. And thanks for uh, calling in, Mitchell. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Second time's a charm. Uh, earlier you mentioned Michael Saylor and um, him mentioning um, loaning out his BTC. I mean, do you think he's implying uh, the need for DeFi on Bitcoin at that sort of development? And would there be support from, say, Blockstream on that on that kind of development for Bitcoin? And and I think you already hit it where you don't think he's um, sort of becoming um, – he's still confident in his position. Um, I th- yeah, I think he's – I think Michael Saylor is uh, – I think he's devout, like I said. So his average cost, like I said, is right around 29. Um, he's been known to go down with the ship in the past. He's had some pretty spectacular blow-ups in uh, equities as well, not just his company, but with his positioning. Um, but, uh, I, you know, honestly, so just to be clear, I think he's right in the long run. Um, I, I think the long-term trajectory of BTC as just a new asset. And I try to be as simple as possible with my long-term thesis, but here I am, like I still try to time the market. Uh, and the only reason, one of the reasons why I ended up getting rid of a lot of my spot positioning in May uh, was because I actually was like, uh, you know what? I'm at long-term capital gain status already. Like, let me try to avoid some of this fucking holders mentality all the way down. Like, who knows where this ends, right? I, I don't want to be the person that doesn't right. have anything after this. So um, that being said, like, I, you know, this is like the dilemma of being a trader. Like, you're, you're going to realize, like, ah, you know, like, I realize it all the time in alts. Like, ah, I wish I didn't trade that alt. I wish I just fell asleep for a month, you know? Um, but I think he's right about BTC in the long run, so I don't think he's in any position where this is going to really blow up on him. Uh, like I said, new asset class. No one, or, no one has, no one alive right now was around for the birth of an asset class except for us in crypto. Um, but with regard to like the whole DeFi and yield and with Bitcoin, I honestly don't know. And, and you know, like one thing that I always try to do, and just again to be transparent and honest, is uh, like, and this is what I always complain about with other people, is like the need to have an answer for everything rather than be like, oh, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> you know, uh, like I, I don't. I don't know what's behind it. I mean, at first, at first thought, it's like, why does he want to uh, lend this out? <laughs> is he securing a little bit right now because he's worried about Bitcoin? I mean, is he trying to raise more money? Because uh, who knows? I, I honestly don't know what goes on in the mind of that man, um, other than he's kind of a madman. But all the greats in history, I, I guess you could say that a lot of greats in history uh, have been all in type of people. And, and, and and that's actually because largely in part due to survivorship. Like we don't know about the graveyard of evidence of people that went all in and completely lost everything. Um, we only know about the people that went all in and have something to show for it because they got to write the books. Right. Um, but I honestly don't know. I don't know what his uh, I don't know what his intentions are. And I think, you know, I think the best thing is like not for nothing. Like, why do I want to give you an answer when we know Michael Saylor is so fucking out? Excuse me. He's so. He's so outspoken that he's going to come on YouTube in like a week and he'll say like what his intentions are, you know? Um, and uh, I think he's been very forthcoming. And so we'll find out more with what his reasoning is and we'll see. But I honestly, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, last week you mentioned that um, you sort of talked about it where you put on a conditional trade and you were unaware that you left it on and you came back and 
you were in position and offsides and then recovered. <laughs> Did I understand that correctly? Say that again. Sorry. Last of all, week, of all people who are messaging me right now, it's it's light <laughs> in uh, direct messages. I got sorry, I got a little distracted. Um, he's asking about ETH, but uh, something about say offside positioning. Well, I, I, from one of your streams last week, um, you mentioned that you left on a conditional trade and you came back and you found out that it was an accident and you were offsides and you just closed the position. So there's a couple instances where, um, I mean, I wish I knew specifically which one this was. Um, there's a couple instances where I've had fat fingers uh, and I've left orders on the book. So I'm trying to think if if this was this one, and, and I, I, you know, I've been, God knows, I've written about them on Twitter to like make fun of myself. Um, so I'm trying to remember specifically which one it is, and I hate to say that I can't remember specifically because I've had it, I've had it happen a few times where, in the last, uh, oh wait, was this more recently? Yes, like in the last. Few I think weeks? it was last week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this, uh, this happened quite a few times, um, and it's it's my mistake uh, of just. So here's what happens when you, I think it's, it's, this is something that um, it becomes like an issue when you're doing a lot at once. So when you're trying to swing trade, get re-involved in spot and also trade uh, the low timeframes intraday. And you're again, wearing a lot of hats, um, just being a little hasty with getting in and out of position. So there, there was one case where I did not, so there's there's one case with ETH and one case with case with BTC. I can't remember exactly what happened, but uh, I know it was on Femex. Um, and one of them was I had left an order at the lows for ETH. Um, so I left the remaining half of my um, my buy order uh, on the book, and I thought that I I thought okay yeah now I'm remembering it um, I'm remembering it better because I thought I closed out the position. I had um, established a position in ETH and in BTC, uh, and I had orders below uh, still for ETH. I can't remember if it was for BTC as well. Um, and I was like, it might have been like 1130 at night, and I, I've talked about this before. Like, I'm in bed, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm not going to be able to sleep. Like, I, just, I know I'm going to roll over and check my phone, and, and I'm not going to get a good night's sleep. And God forbid I fall asleep and then I wake up and there's like something ridiculous tomorrow that I wake up to. And, you know, at that point I'm dragged down underwater. And I'm stopped out, but, you know, I have a really wide stop at that point. Um, so I rolled over and I go to, and this is why you shouldn't trade on your phone. Some people like to brag that they do, but I just find that it's, it's best to be sitting in front of everything, right? Like at the cockpit. Um, I roll over and I go to the open orders page uh, on the exchange on my phone, and I just canceled all. Um, but I canceled the, for some reason, I canceled the stop, uh, so the conditional, um, and I didn't cancel the buy order. So I don't know how that happened specifically, because I, I, I don't know if they're all supposed to be on separate, uh, like under separate categories, like you know, on the exchange under the chart, you have like balance, you have open positions, closed positions, trade history, um, you know, current open orders that are not right. you know, yet uh, executed. But I just canceled the stop. Um, so then I, 
you know, next day I realized that I was long ETH. And I, and I, both cases where I messed up, and I can't remember specifically what the other one was, but I think it was me thinking I closed out all my Bitcoin exposure, but I left the spot on. Um, and both cases I realized that uh, I had left the positions on after hovering over, you know how on your exchanges, uh, some of them, depending on where you're trading, um, if you hover over your assets, it shows you what your asset total is. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, that's higher than it was last night. Like, maybe it's a glitch. Like, if you don't refresh the page on the computer, like, I leave my screens on all day. Um, you know, it might not register the last order and you have to refresh it and then it shows your updated balance. But I'm like, ah, it's pretty high. And uh, sure enough, I was long ETH. Um, so, yeah, that was a mistake. And that worked out in my benefit. Uh, the, the BTC one, too. And this is a mistake I've made quite frequently, again, when I'm doing a lot at once, is um, <clears throat> go to place an order. And I've missed out on trades doing this too, where I am, like I said, in a position where I'm like, okay, the trend looks good. I'm going to tag on half at market, the rest at limit. And instead of changing the template from limit to market, I just uh, go to market in for a limit price that is currently um, sitting below where current market price is. And that book, that order's just left on the book. Uh, so for this, for the the more recent one, I closed out my Bitcoin futures positions and I thought I closed out my spot um, and I closed out spot and like wipe my hands thinking, or I closed out my futures position, wipe my hands thinking, Oh, that was great. And the price ended up ripping up a you know, few thousand points more. I think it was. Um, and again, same thing. I, I didn't close out the spot. I sold the limit, but at that point it never got filled. Um, so yeah, just dumb mistakes that honestly those worked out, but I've had, I've had cases where, <laughs> you know, you really have to make sure if you're, especially with crypto, like, and this is, you know, having uh, multiple exchanges and trading sub accounts. Um, this is where it gets troublesome, like where you accidentally leave like a conditional on. Uh, and, you know, if you don't have it set up so the one cancels the other, you know, if you're stopped at a position, your take profit might be still on and your take profit acts like a short at that in that case. And, you know, you could wake up to being underwater. And this has happened to me before. Um, that hasn't happened in a long time, but you definitely really have to be careful when, uh, you're leaving. You just have to be thorough, right? Um, I haven't really had a, a case of a fat finger in a long time, uh, that's really hurt, but you see people who fat finger things by accident and they lose, you know, millions of dollars by fat fingering, mm. like an order, like 50 million, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I actually made the same mistake the same day you mentioned yours on on YouTube, and um, yours worked out in your favor. Mine. Yeah, so I mean, it's hey, it sometimes it works out in your favor, but a lot of times it doesn't, and God forbid you that one time it doesn't, you're blown up, right? So, but I, I, I am at this point like I never have too much exposure on either on any of these exchanges, um, and I never. This is why I don't. Get crazy. This is why I really just trade futures intraday because I'm monitoring it always. Um, and whatever I put up is, you know, it's, it's, I guess I could get, I could get liquidated, but uh, it's not going to be for anything that is going to really hurt me that much. So, hey, I just want to say thanks again. I'm going to hang up now. Uh, appreciate the conversation. I'm looking forward to the next one. Awesome, man. Thank you for calling in, Ryan. All right. All right, guys. I think I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, we are going on just over, uh, we're going on almost two hours. Damn. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to wrap it up. If you guys don't mind, if, you, if you're if you okay with that, give me some thumbs up. 
hopefully these are moving along swimmingly and uh, you guys will get something out of this. And it's good to have you guys participate. So ideally, uh, more and more of you will participate moving forward. But I get it, you know, the whole uh, like my friend, um, my best friend uh, Banks on Twitter, uh, he just streamed for the first time today. He's my childhood best friend and uh, he is a trader and he was a uh, buy side guy for over a decade managing uh, probably like a $4 billion portfolio. Um, and he streamed for the first time today. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man, it's going to be kind of awkward. I'm like, listen, it's going to be awkward first because you're going to be talking to the computer and you get tired just talking to the computer thinking it. So people are listening, right? But you're just like, oh, I got to come up with something to say. <laughs> I got to have something to say. And I don't want to be silent. But at some point you get comfortable with participating and, you know, hopefully you guys will too and we'll make something of this. But uh, it's always nice to hop on here. So thank you guys. Uh, have a great weekend. Tomorrow I will be uh, spending the entire day in the uh, city with my wife. We we do a, a day in the city for our anniversary in December. So we're going to pick up tomorrow, driven around, go to some nice places, go see the tree, you know, do all that uh, cliche stuff around the holidays, go to a restaurant and um, go to a play. I forgot about that. We're going to go to a play as well. So that'll be all until next time. I will uh, post about when the next room is, but thanks for stopping in guys. Everyone have a fantastic weekend signing out.